0: Let's
1: take it to the edge Let's get deflected
0: Hey there! It's RM Survival and Preparedness from Instagram. I won the honor and privilege of introducing the baddest podcast on the planet. Stay tuned and enjoy. You are listening to the Knife
2: Perspective. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives. And this is the Knife Perspective episode number zero two eight, the Deuce Nichols with Nicholas Nichols. How you doing tonight, Kyle?
0: I'm doing pretty good, Dan. It's a pretty crazy world out there and uh hopefully we can uh all all pull out of this crazy 2020 funk that
2: we're in. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. One of my, one of my friends posted on Facebook. It said, "Hey 2020, can you calm down for 5 minutes? Just 5 minutes. Calm down."
2: <laughs> so, uh apparently uh some geologists found a, a cave that had been sealed for 15 million years and they were just opening it up and found some life forms. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, Hey, uh, this is 2020. You need to close up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I saw an awesome meme. that had uh star Trek, the next generation. It had Wesley Crusher talking to Picard and it said, why do all the doors not have handles? And Picard says, let me tell you about 2020. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, uh, yeah, we've got our sponsors at uh, Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives, and you can find our knives at Old Town Cutlery Knife Center and the Knife House. And uh, want to uh, give a shout out to uh, Robert from RM Survival and Preparedness. He'll be doing the intro. Uh, hopefully, we can get him recorded for this show. But if not, it'll be for the the next show. We'll we'll drop him down in the beginning.
2: Robert, it was great, great to hear from you. You did a great job on the intro and or you will do a great job.
0: Yeah. And then uh, I had another uh, shout out, Patrick Roman of MT Knives. He's been doing some good stuff with his uh, mobile knife grinding trailer. So if you don't follow him, check him out. He makes some awesome knives, does some great tips and stuff, too. And, and he's just a great, awesome human being. Hopefully I get to see him at Blade Show. Well,
2: you know, if you're part of the Knife Perspective family, you are by default a phenomenal human being. Yeah, for sure.
0: And then uh, we have uh, Donald. Uh, I believe
2: it's pronounced Nope's. Dude, you're asking the dyslexic kid.
0: Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we posted up uh, some pictures of uh, how we store some of our sanding paper, and uh, he had a really cool um, sanding paper rack that was uh, a whole bunch a magazine rack of a company that went out of business, and he bought all the the wire racks to hold the magazines. And, uh, that was a super cool idea. So, uh, if you guys have any other sanding paper, uh, storage ideas, uh, tag us in there and I'll make sure to get it put up in our, our stories so that, uh, other people can, can see the good ideas.
2: Or if you're going out of business and would like to give me a sweet deal on your magazine rack, uh, please let me know because that was a, a really awesome setup.
0: Yeah. Or if you're a library and, uh, your card catalog, right, Dan?
2: I would cut a man for a card catalog right now. I'm not (laughs) going to lie. I saw somebody that was using it for their knife collection. And yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say I'd kill a man, but I would sure cut him for a card catalog.
0: Nice. And then uh, another piece of gear that uh, is not knife related at all. Uh, Back when I was in high school, Under Armour made these pants, uh, short gym shorts that were made out of like the heat gear. Uh, stretchy fabric and they stopped making them um like 2010 and they recently uh came out with a with like a a new pattern or whatever w- that uh has uh the stretchy material so i really like them there's a link to amazon that'll be in the show notes uh they are 10 inch inseam uh, they have pockets uh which i'm not so i don't really care for pockets on my workout pants but they don't really get in the way too terribly bad.
2: Yeah, I um, I wind up having an awkward situation with the my keys or my wallet slinging around in my workout pants. I I, I avoid it. Mm-hmm. I I just tuck my stuff in my sock. Yeah, like every good American does.
0: Well, and the other thing is the yeah the elastic waistband. If you put anything too terrible, like even just my cell phone in there, it kind of starts to pull the pull the shorts down. So yeah, I guess you could you could tie the
2: yeah. Really accident.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could tie the, they've got, it's got some drawstrings in there, but I don't really like tying them and untying them and stuff.
2: So. Well, the first, you can put one knot in those drawstrings. You put one knot in and then that knot is stuck. It never comes out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So our, uh, our guest tonight is a good solid coastal Carolina boy, a knife maker, a chef, an all-around good guy who I was really fortunate enough to have uh, come hang out at the shop for a couple of days uh, during some uh, some of the weather unfortunateness. Uh, how are you doing tonight?
1: Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, thanks for coming on. Nicholas Nichols, the man of does that count as two last names or two first names?
1: Uh, It's been going on all my life, man. I just kind of just, you know, go with whatever happens and whatever you want to call me. Uh, being a sales, a salesman by day and a knife maker by night, um, as long as you buy stuff from me, I really don't care what you call me. It yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're giving you a check, huh? As long as they're giving me a check. That's it. Nice. I didn't expect that. So, Nicholas, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a little town outside of Wilmington, North Carolina, called Leland, North Carolina, which is about uh, an hour north of Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, probably two hours southwest or southeast of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. So that's where I am. Is that where you still are? That's where I live at now. Yeah, we uh, Mm -hmm. went to school in Charlotte and we lived in Atlanta for a few years um, before we got married. And then after we got married, my wife said, it's time to come home and uh I said yes, ma'am, and here I am. As every good husband does. Yes. So that
0: that kind of dovetails into our next question: How did you meet your wife, and where does it rank on the the Dan Kyle scale of Dan meeting him meeting his wife at a at his at her grandmother's wake, and me meeting my wife uh, online on the internet?
1: So um, my roommate in college, he his his wife or his future wife at the time, future ex wife now uh, or is his ex wife now? Um, they my wife. And her were in the same master's program at UNCW. And my wife's grandmother passed away and uh, her parents actually let her live in her her grandmother's house. And uh, my roommates, now ex-wife, uh, her and my wife were uh, roommates. Yeah. And uh, somehow or another, she, they talked her into coming to Charlotte and visiting with him. And it just so happened that I actually stayed home that weekend. I was actually going to come back to Wilmington. And I did not, and uh, we met over some Dr Pepper, um, and vodka. Oh, so I don't know where you would put that, rank that. I don't think it's quite as crazy as Dan's, but not where. Um, yeah,
2: I'm, I'm feeling like I get to claim this one. Yeah,
1: yeah. When you, yeah, yeah, the house of Dan.
0: Yeah, when yeah. you, when you were starting there, I thought you were going to be a combination of both.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It was a, it was a. They 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 tried to get us together, and like you know. I, It just so happened that I was there, and then we kind of, you know, to to build up the courage to talk to each other, it was Diet diet, diet, Dr. Pepper and and Vodka, and we've been together ever since.
2: I felt a perfectly boring, natural, blind date, getting a great twist of at the dead grandmother's house.
1: (laughs) We did live at the dead grandmother's house while she was finishing her master's, and I would finished my internship or was going to finish my internship, and where I did my internship, they offered me a job in Atlanta. And uh, we went, and she finished her master's, and we lived there, and then we moved to Atlanta, and cool. somehow, know that we ended up back here. But kids will do that to you;
2: they will. And you've got you've got kids, you got a wife, you got a day job, and you're a knife maker. How do you balance all that?
1: Um, lots of caffeine, very little sleep, um, and just kind of get things done where I can get things done at. You know, I think that everybody nowadays has a, uh, I guess we call them side hustles. And I have an entrepreneurial spirit anyway, and that's a, uh, just something I, I've always wanted to work for myself and never really been able to figure out how to branch out and do that. But this has been one way, you know, i I guess like a lot of men, I've had a bunch of hobbies, but this is the only one that's ever actually paid for itself and made money. Mm-hmm. So my wife, my wife's very supportive of that.
2: <laughs> and, uh, what was your first knife?
1: So, um, my father was an engineer for general electric for like 30 something years, but, uh, he was a field engineer and engineers in the power industry and they didn't work during the summertime. So he had a, uh, a junkyard. And I called my mother this morning and asked her kind of like where this story was going to go. And, uh, she said, your first knife was a junkyard knife, like something you got out of a car at a junkyard. But the first knife that she actually bought me was like one of those little boy scout Swiss army knife things that I got in trouble with. And this principal at school took it. So.
2: Man, the man always keeping you down.
1: The man's always keeping me down. I was in my mind. I'm like, damn! I wish I still had that knife. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, but
2: you know, Principal still has it. <laughs> yeah,
1: right.
0: So, so what's your uh, what's your favorite knife? One the one that you made and one you one you didn't make.
1: Um, my favorite knife. Whenever I was finished my internship in Atlanta, the uh, the chef that was there um bought me this beautiful. Uh, this is before I knew anything about customized. he bought me a beautiful 10-inch Global Forged knife. So a little bit different than regular Globals that you would buy at like uh, Williamson Sonoma or anything. This thing's got like a big fat handle on it and the spine's probably, you know, a touch over an eighth of an inch thick. Just got a lot of weight to it and it feels like a, a nice knife. And I don't really know that I have a favorite knife of my own. Um, you know, I really enjoy my kitchen knives, but it's kind of like the cobbler. I don't really have any of my own stuff um, unless it's a mess up or something. So.
2: Yeah, I've got I've got a kitchen full of flawed knives.
1: Yeah, we had some people over uh, two weeks ago that were coming over. And they wanted to buy. Uh, they found out I made knives, and they wanted to buy a set of knives. And they were coming over to have dinner, and you know, I've got a bunch of blanks laid out on the table. You know, heat treated blanks that are just sitting there. And they're like, "You don't have any of this stuff." And my wife just looks at me like you're a horrible person. You should have these knives for me. So I told her that we're gonna make we're gonna make a whole set of knives for her to keep in the kitchen. That way, if people want to come over, if I need to show stuff, but I have got to put like some kind of Weird, you know, her name on it or something. That way, I can never sell it because we want to keep one. Then something happens to it.
2: A- you know, you can tell that I've been drinking a little bit tonight that I'm going to even tell this story. But like my brother cooks a lot, so I've made some some kitchen knives for him. But my my mom has never shown any. She's she's proud of what I've done, but she's never shown any interest in in me making knives. And I was over at their house a couple of weeks ago and I was helping her prep dinner and I go to the knife block and her eight inch knife, like the handle is is broken and it's taped together. Like, mom, what's, what's the deal with your knife? And she's like, well, nobody's ever made me a knife. My friends all ask me, "Do you have one of his knives?" And I just have to tell them, "No, he's just terribly busy." Like, oh, (laughs) I I had to come home and clear my schedule for the week and make my mom a couple of knives and mail them down to her. Nice. (laughs) And it had never crossed my mind. She had never shown any real, like, she had never said, "Hey, I'd like a knife." And I didn't really think about it, but she does all the cooking and. When I say this out loud, I realize I'm kind of a jackass of a son, (laughs) but I I, I had to clear a week's worth of production just to make knives for my mom.
1: Yeah, my mom is a – one of that – comes from that whole school of, like, she used a paring knife for everything. Yeah. Yeah. A a paring knife to to cut, to dice, a paring knife to peel, a paring knife to do any kind of butchery or whatever. So she has one of my paring knives, but that's that's about all she has because she won't use a large chef's knife. Um, But – I don't even remember how she actually got that. I think I think I gave it to her in the midst of something else. But you most people get this stuff and they give away knives as Christmas presents. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm just not really there yet, I don't think. I need to get a little bit more more production in. Maybe I can do that.
2: Well, and I'd made a I'd made a skinning knife for my dad. I'd made a hunting knife for my dad. Dad's got several of my knives and I just mom just never showed any interest, so I didn't think about it. Now I'm just justifying. (laughs)
1: <laughs> my dad i made my dad a couple of cleavers and there's these big beautiful like forged you know forged textured cleavers and all this like beautiful like one of them's got this amazing coal on it that i was just saving for a special project and i go over and like he's you know it's been in the sink for six months it's all rusted out the handle's barely on there and i'm just like God, come <laughs> on dad that's a beautiful piece of wood you just ruined <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah that's that's
1: always heartbreaking when you hear
0: when you see some of that stuff but that's why I I try to try to do most of my knives out of stainless because at least you don't have to worry about the rust nearly as much.
1: Yeah, and you know the 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 cleaver thing was just kind of a novelty, and I, I made one, and people were like, "Oh, I love that! That's awesome!" And then I, like I started looking at how much it would cost to make the stupid thing out of out of stainless, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not really just stomach that mm-hmm. yet."
2: Yeah, I, I did one for a local chef. We call it the uh, the Papa Bear, and he was trained in a. I think it was Thai, may have been Japanese kitchen, and he uses it's like an oversized vegetable cleaver, but he uses it like you would use a chef's knife. And we wound up doing it in uh, S thirty five V N one sixteenth S thirty five V N, and a couple of people were like, "Oh, this is great! I'd like a cleaver like that." And then I quoted the price, and they're like, "Ah, never mind."
1: <laughs> yeah, so mine's like fourteen and a half inches. Um, it's probably from from blade to the to the spine it's probably four and a quarter inches tall Yep. and then it's curved it almost it's kind of like cartoonish yeah um yeah and it's a it's a quarter of an inch it's a quarter of an inch or three sixteenths inch thick so you know you start quoting that kind of stuff and i was like yeah i, I could make you one but this is what it would cost but yeah yeah. i haven't had anybody jump out there yet and do it
2: mine's four inch stock and a, a four inch wide piece of a uh, particle steel stock starts getting, uh, uh, budget prohibitive. Very much so. But the three or four chefs that you, that I've made them for are like, Hey, this is the knife.
1: Yeah.
0: So Nicholas, how did you get started making knives?
1: Um, I, uh, a relative died and, uh, we were all sitting around and somebody said, you, know, your great, great grandfather was a blacksmith. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So then I start going down this rabbit hole of like, Oh, this is cool. This is nice. And then I get into it and like everything else that I've ever gotten into, I start, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to make a gate. And I ended up selling animals and, <laughs> and vices and all this other stuff because I couldn't find it forever. And then I started finding it and people were like, oh, I want to buy that. I want to buy that. So my garage at one point was full of like, you know, old blacksmithing equipment. And uh, I tried, I had a couple of guys try to teach me how to make knives before, but it was like kind of like oil and water. And somewhere deep down inside being a chef, I wanted to make a knife, but I was like, yeah, this is not really that cool when i ended up selling a um a leg vice to a guy that was a uh an iron worker so like he made like uh wrought iron gates and you know different things like that and i went up to his house to drop off the vice and he was like yeah man come in here and it's kind of like a like an episode off of american pickers there's just all this crazy weird stuff like laying around and stuff and he was his homemade forge and he's like hammering out railroads spike knives with his son he's like yeah you should come make one so uh having the freedom and flexibility of my job i uh I just switched jobs at that point too. left a competitor and went to another one. So I had a year non-compete to work out, and I had like three or four accounts that I was actually able to work. And they were just like, yeah, just go do what you need to do. And so I spent a couple of days a week over there with him, learning how to pound out railroads, bank knives. And then, uh, I got like a little grinder from Harbor Freight. And then I got the, the Wilmot grinder, Chris, Will- Chris Williams sells a, uh, a thousand dollar grinder he calls it a little buddy 1000 because it's one thousand dollars, and I bought one of those and then I started stepping my way up and here we are,
0: nice so so you what you learned on some some blacksmithing uh railroad spike knives, you said uh other than that, did you yeah. take any any classes or kind of apprentice with anybody for a while or
1: um i didn't I, I don't know that you'd call it apprenticing, but um you know, every other thing I've ever done, I've always been self-taught, you know, I tried to teach myself how to play golf at an older age or, you know, in my late teens, early 20s. And it was kind of struggled. And then like, I never really got it until I went and took a lesson from somebody. So from the beginning of this, where I realized it was something I wanted to do, I reached out to certain people and took, you know, Hey, I'm going to take, I want to take a class from you. And Chris Williams, you know, when I bought the grinder from him, he, he gave me a couple of like, you know, tutorial days or like, you know, half things and told me to do certain things, but. I really didn't get over the hump until I went and visited a man by the name of Scott McGee. Um he's an ABS uh master bladesmith uh here in North Carolina. He's probably 30 or 45 minutes away from me. Mm-hmm. And um, Scott is definitely a, I love him to death and he's probably going to kill me for saying this, but he's definitely a, a hermit and he doesn't like you in a space. <laughs> um and I think that he I think he tried
2: So that's pretty standard for knife makers.
1: Yeah, pretty standard for knife makers, and you know I'm a bubbly salesman. You know I've never met a person that I didn't like or I couldn't talk to. Um, you know if you hate me, I'm still going to talk to you because it's just what I do. And if you say no, it just makes me want to do it even more. Well, Scott's definitely a man of very few words, but um, I, I looked him up online and kind of like was you know thought I'd like to wanted to do the ABS thing one day and in the very beginning because I had been making you know, railroad spike knives and stuff and. I reached out and like I looked online at the ABS site and I found there was this guy that was close and I kind of sent him an email one time and said, yeah, you know, what do you think about this? And he told me how much it was going to be to come over and have a day with him. And I was kind of like, wow, that's a lot of money. And then I actually um, ended up meeting him at a uh, a North Carolina Knife Makers Guild Association meeting. And he, you know, we kind of hit it off a little bit. He's got a culinary background, a little, you know, somewhat. And then he loves to cook and we kind of got it you know jumped off there and he's like hey if you want to come over but it was still the same price when i came over um the price didn't change but you know that that day set me on the path and now you know we've got a different relationship where i can come over and you know bring a bottle of bourbon or bring a steak or bring some some shrimp or something and uh you know he'll he'll pass on his his things but you know i took probably you know two or three days i would do something and the first day i went over there he's like all right we're gonna make a knife but if you want to come back you've got to go get you know a stick of mild steel and you've got to make um you need to make 20 of this knife you, know, you need to grind it out you need to you know, put bevels on it and then whenever you get done doing that then you can come back but until you've done that don't come back and it uh, you know i kind of pass that on to people now i'm like you know people ask me all the time if they if they I want to learn how to come make, I want to learn how to make a knife. I want to learn how to make a knife. I'm like, were you ready? Is that what you really want to do? And I've had a couple of people that have actually done it, you know, like told them that they had to go buy a stick of steel and make.
2: That's a pretty solid, both because you learn enough from doing that, that I can now teach you something. And it's a little bit of a a check of, are you really dedicated?
1: Yeah. Which I kind of, you know, at the time I didn't appreciate, but now I definitely, um, I definitely appreciate, it. and we've had a you know, I guess it's probably going on five or six years now, um, and I'm definitely nowhere near where where I want to be. But uh, you know, it's I'll get hung up on something or or have some frustration or something, and go over there, and he's just like, "Oh, yeah, well, you just do this," and I'm like, oh, I just hate you." Yeah, where we're here for you know, fourteen hours. Ago? Yeah.
2: Um. <laughs> so you've got you've mentioned a culinary background. Is that the is that the inspiration for your knives or what? what's the spark for your knives
1: uh the inspiration for my knives uh really doesn't come from from i mean it, it is culinary i mean and when i started doing this i wanted to eventually make culinary knives um you know like we're told by other people when we first get started that you're not going to make culinary knives until you've made a bunch of these
2: yeah
1: and uh i would say my inspiration comes from like the the 50s and the 60s you know the the art deco you know, that, that stylization, the the things that kind of cut through the air, you know, the the swooping tail fins of cars and the way they, you know. Yeah, the, the, the naked lady uh, hood or ornament. Yeah. Yeah. Something, you know, that, that you know, I've, I've been around cars all my life. You know, most of them were, were ratty, you know, horrible cars. But every once in a while we get a cool car in. But, you know, my, my father's family all worked in, you know, they were all laborers in the uh, auto industry so you know we've we've had a love affair of cars and i would say cars or ships or you know i'll, I'll often say that i was born in the wrong era the wrong time so um, it sounds
2: like that sense of motion even when it's standing still those 100 lines
1: 100 percent, and it's not always easy to achieve those and you know you, but it's uh it's something different and then the other part of it would be function You know, knowing what a chef knife feels like in your hand for ten hours a day, you kinda I would hope that you would know how to make one or know what felt good or what didn't feel good.
2: And when you talk about that you want to make chef's knives but you have to make these first.
1: Yes. I I was in a similar
2: situation. I wanted to make chef's knives when I started making them. And you know, I I apprenticed with a guy that made outdoor knives, Andy Roy. And when I decided I was gonna make that shift, I really didn't appreciate the change in skill, and if I had not spent the last year grinding out some smaller, more simple blades, I'd have gotten eaten alive. I cannot imagine somebody starting out making chef's knives.
0: That was that was my first one.
1: <laughs> was it really? I've had some. I've had some. Uh, some. You know, there's a couple of guys that are around. There's a. Uh, 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 he's actually a pastor, and his three sons. And uh, they've kind of taken them under my wing and they, they wanted to make Christmas presents. And I didn't realize Christmas presents meant we were going to make all their Christmas presents. But <laughs> nevertheless, we uh, w- I learned a lot of my flaws by fixing, trying to fix his flaws and being able to, you know, make make up the mistakes. But, you know, the first time that he tried to grind a kitchen knife, you know, because you, you get a blank, you know, you get a blank already done in a kitchen knife. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And then you start, you know, you really don't. I guess the EDC knife, you can get to cut even if it's not, you know, it doesn't have the right geometry on it. Not even just the the the, the edge or the, the blade geometry, but the geometry of the overall knife. Yep. You know, if, you, if you've if you got a horrible, you know, if it looks like a shovel, it's going to cut like a shovel. If it looks like a chisel, it's going to cut like a chisel. So it's uh, it's definitely, I feel like, and I don't know if y'all would say the same thing because both of y'all make more culinary knives than, than you do anything else. Uh, I think a kitchen knife is easier to grind once you've done enough of them, I mean, I, I feel more comfortable with it. And I don't know if it's just because I've, you know, I felt like it's an extension of my body.
2: And th- that was not the case for me. Um, the outdoor knives being, being shorter and typically thicker at the spine, they were much more forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first side of a culinary knife, like a, an eight, or I'll go ahead and say a ten inch chef's knife. The first side is not so bad when I flip it over and go to do the B side. Man, you start getting flex in that blade, and you, you've got to be careful not to wrap it around the platen. Um, and you're pulling off that much steel. It gets you – know, all of a sudden, I'm working on four axes, and that was that was a little bit of a mind bender for me to, to wrap my head around. Just, there was no room – there was no forgiving in that blade.
1: Yeah. Do you grind them hard, or did you grind them hard in the beginning? No, I've always
2: ground them annealed. Uh, I'll grind them thick, annealed, heat treat, and then come back and take the rest of the steel off. Okay. And part of that was, and I may come around to grinding them hard because I've got to leave plenty of flat uh, for the heat treat. Otherwise, I get a lot of warp. Mm. But with working with S35VN, it was just absolutely destroying my belts to grind them completely hard.
1: Oh yeah, that's like the seventh layer of hell trying to do that. I I, I guess I take that back because most of the stuff I do is nitro V or um or ABL, but uh, I think I tried to do some some CPM one thirty four or excuse me one fifty four, and uh, it was like triple the belts of it being hard. So I could see that that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I love grinding ABL man. It, it it's, it grinds really really well, but you still get that really tight grain structure and a really fine
1: edge. Mm. Um. I wish they changed the name of it though. I wish they call it something else, because <laughs> so many people don't like it. You know, you say you make it if they're not a if they're not a knife snob. Like if you're talking to somebody that has a half a, a half knowledge about a knife, and you say it's ABL, they're like, "Ooh, what are you making out of ABL for?" Hey, Able. I'm making Able steel here, baby. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I love ABL. Um, I use more Nitro V now just because I think people don't have a stigma towards it.
2: Part of the balance for me is. If a chef is kind of like push cut versus rock chop, there seems to be a hard line. Some guys want to touch it up on their steel every 10 minutes. And those guys love AEBL because they can touch up the edge on a, a traditional steel. And then some guys want that really hardcore edge retention. I'll sharpen it on Saturday. And for those guys, I do S35VN.
1: Yeah, I haven't. Um, I'm not used s 35 I've used, uh, you know, my favorite steel is O one, one but you know, if you get, if you get O one one within a hundred foot of water, it rust.
2: Yeah. You, um, if you're using O one one for a chef's knife, you got to be fanatical about maintenance.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, but the, it, O1 to me is so, O one one you could abuse and, you know, beat the snot out of and heat treat and not temper for four days and it's not going to do anything, but that's just unless you're going to babysit it like you said but that's my favorite
2: i love how oh one heat treats and i like to work with it it's super stable yeah that's one one of the
0: steels i've never used never gotten around to doing a whole bunch in carbon steel i've, I've done some carbon damascus
2: oh one i use a lot for my outdoor knives um with either a heavy force patina or people understand you got to wipe it down and oil it mm-hmm but it's it's great to work with and it has some great edge properties
1: i uh i use o one for uh, uh if i make removable scale like in my e d c line yep um i call it a guppy um but they uh i use o one there and i'll use removable scales and i actually parkerize it oh yeah um and then, I, then i've got a uh a, a bare bones or a naked a naked a naked guppy that uh I also parkerize and it's i uh, I've actually parkerized a few kitchen knives as well, but that was in the beginning. And then when I realized that people in general were lazy and not going to take care of it, I had to switch into something else, but a one was really easy to get my hands on. And it, you know, it was very, very, very forgiving and it grinded really good. Um, it didn't warp at all. I mean, I've never, I've done stupid stuff with O one; one it's still not warped.
2: Did the parkerizing um, give drag when you're, uh, when you're using it for a kitchen knife or did it? Did it
1: smooth out not really it smoothed out um it uh you know i was still hand sanding them and then then putting the park horizon on there but it was it was fine cool uh there's actually uh i've got an idea to take and make a um i've not made any uh, hidden tang knives yet, and i've got an idea of making a hidden tang like a almost like a sushi knife or a tuna knife with uh out of o one and then parkerizing it.
2: You can tell us all about it because really just pretty much our wives are the only ones that listen to this and no one will know. <laughs> so,
1: well, that's it. That's it. That's one of those things that's on the back burner for a
0: while. So what was, what was the actual first or I guess the first knives you made were those,
1: those railroad bike knives. The first knives that I made were, um, were actually kit knives, kit knives. Um, yeah, I actually found some kit knives and I made some kit knives and then, um, and the first knife that i made the first knives that i made i tried my hand at design and making my own stuff up and i've got all my first knives in a bucket over there somewhere that never got finished um there's a big bucket of
2: knives that'll never be
1: yeah a bucket of knives that'll never be um but they're over there they're definitely uh i keep them there more for demonstrational purposes you know when my boys want to come out here or somebody wants to come over and they get mad cuz they mess something up and i'm like yeah it's kind of like your first job you know i quit my first six my my first six first jobs you know
2: yeah um what would you say defines your style what's we talked about some kind of swooping lines some some static motion but but how would you define the aesthetics of your style or the function for that matter
1: um the function of my kitchen knives and i I might not understand this question because i'm I'm dyslexic too um i uh,
2: uh so you're good
1: yeah yeah i'm good um You know, I wanted when I made my when I I designed the kitchen knife, I wanted to make it where you could where everybody could use it. You know, whether you used a pinch grip, whether you put your finger on the spine, whether you held it like it was a baseball bat. You know, it was it was I don't want to say where form meets or style meets function, because I think that's one of one of those over overused statements. But, you know, I wanted something that looked like it was moving while it was sitting still. And I wanted something that you, that you would be proud to use that looked, that had hints of, of traditional, but at the same time, almost like a sleeper, like a, like I say, sleeper, like a, you know, growing up, there was these guys, all those guys had the fancy fast, the, the fast cars, but you would look at him and you're like, yeah, that's not all, like, it looks like it's my, like, you know, you could tell it's nice because of the paint job, but at the same time, you're just like, yeah, I don't really know. I think he might take my money. It was
2: um primer on the outside and blueprinted on the inside.
1: Yeah. Something like that. And that was kind of, you know, that, that like this thing, it just looks like it's going to cut something just laying there, you know, it's kind of scary. And that's, that was the idea. I mean, I don't really know if that's the, in my mind, that's how I feel about it. I'd call that a defining characteristic. Yeah. Just,
2: you know, like it's moving. Um, and what techniques do um, uh, what production techniques do you use? Um,
1: uh, stock removal. um, um Use, that's the only one I know of.
2: And are you you freehand? Do you use a work rest?
1: Um, um I freehand. I do use a um a uh, a file guide. Um, you know, but that's more or less just because the plunge line thing to me is a crazy crazy deal there. But uh, I use a file guide to stop everything, and I work to that file guide and work up.
0: So, if you use a file guide, how do you? Because most of the knives that I've seen kind of have a kind of a sweeping kind of almost uh lineless transition. How do you, uh, yeah. how do you work around that?
1: Uh, time and effort and a lot of, uh, surface conditioning belts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just to
2: soften all the corners.
1: Yeah. Just soften all the corners. You know, I, uh, y'all, both of y'all hand sand a whole lot and, uh, I hand sand Damascus and that's about it. Um, I was hand sanding before I got on with y'all. Before I could figure out how to get on with y'all, <laughs> um, shout out to my wife for helping me out.
2: Now that I've got a raging case of tendonitis in my elbows, I'm looking for ways to not hand sand anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: One
0: of the one of the things that I just recently got was uh, uh Don Dens. I think his last name, but uh, DD Workrest. He made a uh, integral grinding attachment for the two by seventy two where it actually has, you can use any size small wheel up to two inches, I think it is. And it has a platen that'll be kind of vertical. Uh, so it's basically like a small wheel attachment with a platen next to it. So uh, hopefully I can start using that to kind of help smooth that transition up into the the handle
1: you know i i played golf for a long time and you know we would all get these fancy drivers or or even whenever i was younger and you get a new baseball bat or something Mm -hmm. and the first thing that we would do is we would take our spikes and we would kick the top of the golf club or drop it or do something to it that way it went ahead and ruined it Mm -hmm. and there was no chance of you like ever getting pissed off because you hit it bad or whatever (laughs) and that's kind of my philosophy on kitchen knives and you know just technical knives in general is that, you know, you can make it look pretty, but at the same time, once you've used it a couple of times, that's all gone. So, I mean, that's, you know, I'm not, not, certainly not trying to discount what y'all do. I'm just saying that it's just, I don't really, you know, if I got it, if I had a knife and then I scratched it where I had a beautiful hand polished finish on there, I'd be pissed and be out here sanding it again, trying to get it back the way it looked. <laughs>
2: you know, I, I actually make a point of stopping at a satin finish for just that reason. I hand sand. For my own really screwed up principles, but i stop at a satin finish for just that reason i want a working finish so those little blemishes that you get just from regular use don't pop the way they will on a, a mirror finish
0: yeah
1: yeah and that's basically what the surface condition belt does for me
0: i usually stop at 600 when i when i hand sand so i i'll use my disc grinder and uh sand uh, like 600 on the disc grinder and then do uh, 400 hand sanding and it does usually doesn't take long to to clean up at 400 and then do some 600 to get those those scratches and clean everything up and get it nice and even
1: and going back to what you said earlier about your dd work rest i've got a uh chris williams actually designed a uh he called a plunge attachment as well and it's basically the same concept and this was a couple years ago and i bought one of those from him with the intention of taking my blades and actually putting them on there and trying to change that scratch pattern to go the other direction. Mm-hmm. But I never really could figure out how to do it because my blade, my, my kitchen knife is a little bit wider than what a two inch belt would be. And it's kind of, I've never really, it's in there. It's in my grinding room, but I don't, I don't use it. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like every, you know, whoever dies with the most tools wins. So I don't really want to get rid of it and like give somebody a up.
2: Well, I might think of a new use. when when i uh
0: when i saw that don was coming out with it and doing the the pre-order for it and um what i've i've learned that some of those times when i when i see something that i think will be super useful like that i just need to jump on it right away There were back in like 2012 to 2014 somewhere in there it was pretty much just blade forums and nathan crothers uh nathan the machinist on blade forums he was doing a bunch of he was making a bunch of stuff for himself and then he would make make some extra ones to help pay for all of his uh costs associated with it i'm sure in in his time because making 15 or something instead of making one doesn't take a whole lot of extra time when you got the cnc machines that like he did and I got a couple of those like water cooled platins and uh, different and some C plates that he made for that. And um, kind of does a, a rotary platen type thing um, with the, the, the wheels and stuff. So when I missed out on those the first time, I'm like, I just need to start buying some of that stuff when I see it, like right when I see it, because they're probably not going to make a ton of them later.
1: That's the way I felt about the um about that, that plate that's in there, that, that, Plunge attachment, the Bill, Bill binky his radius flat platen thing. I felt the same way about that. I've got it. I don't use it. I mean, I, one day maybe. But uh, yeah, the one that I did miss that I wish I would have gotten was the um, is a Mare brand or whatever the uh, the grinding company that they came out with a cheaper version of the rotary platen that actually had the flat platen behind the rotary platen. Okay, um, I wish I would have got that because they were selling those for like two fifty at the time, and I think they're up to four hundred some bucks now. Yeah. That you can use
0: the like a platen behind the the one because the C plate that Nathan made is literally just the the C plate for the like slack belt attachment for like a KMG, but then you can add a third wheel. He made like a little arm that comes off there, so you can add a third wheel to it and use the use a plate behind it. So I've never actually done the plate behind the V V belt, but I have one of Bill Banky's thirty six inch grinding platens and have just started do, doing a couple s grinds that uh i've got the first handle on one of those and uh i'm going to be pretty excited with testing that out and seeing how much uh resistance that takes out or does the food doesn't uh has better food release and stuff
1: yeah i i didn't i tried one with like a the 10 inch just a 10 inch wheel and uh when i realized how much hand sanding was going to be involved and how much i don't hand sand I stop, but then you know now that you have that that radius thing that you sell um maybe maybe we'll venture off in there but I haven't I haven't jumped out there yet I I'm still a little little scared.
0: Yeah. Uh the sanding buddy stick it has all sorts of different sizes. We've sold a handful of them to people already so you know, I'm excited to see see what they think about them. I love I love using mine. I I'm a bigger guy and uh it's a uh, 3D printed one of my coworkers he uh He is big into 3D printing and he was like, Well, we could make something like that. And so he I came up with the design and he helped print it. And yeah, we've had six inch, eight inch, ten inch, twelve inch, fourteen, and thirty-six. Oh, you're just
2: bragging now. The
0: different different (laughs) inserts you can put on there for the different the different radius and diameter wheels and me putting all my weight into it, hand sanding a handful of blades. Uh it it hasn't uh hasn't flexed or doesn't feel like it's degraded at all. So I've been pretty impressed. And
2: Nicholas, Nicholas is like us. He he benefits from some body mass when he needs to lean into things.
1: I've never been accused of being skinny <laughs> ever. There's a lot of things I've been accused of, but skinny is definitely not one of them. You
2: know, I would never trust a skinny cook.
1: I have a lot of trust in.
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't remember who it was uh, that, uh, Tom Crine was talking about, but when I did one of his knife grinding, like tutorial things at Blade Show, uh, he was talking about one of his friends that said that he had a built-in uh, work rest by laying his forearms on his gut when he going up to the grinder. <laughs> so that was pretty funny.
2: When I was apprenticing with Andy and he was teaching me how to to, to lock into hand sand, and you know, Andy's kind of a stick of a guy. And he's like, well... You've got an advantage. You just put it on top of that big old belly of yours and then lean in. <laughs> and I was torn between, is that a compliment or am I going to break his skinny neck?
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've, uh, I, I guess we all have a list of tools that we want to buy. And, you know, at any given time, there's probably, you know, 10 to... 25 250 grand worth of tools that you want to buy just depending on how you feel that day but i'd like to get a hold of a die profiler and um Ooh. try that and and do a little hand sanding with that i see some of the folder maker guys out there especially guys that have a machinist background that have those and um i think other places i could spend 1500 bucks before i did that but if one just happened to fall somewhere and it was very uh inexpensive i might pick it up but you don't really look on a facebook marketplace and see die profiler mm-hmm. Um because yeah. I have looked, but it's not there. I just recently uh, started
0: using some stones in with the uh, the paper on my sanding sticks and stuff, and those stones really help getting out some of those last uh pretty deep scratches really quickly that uh when you're using paper, they just take forever to get out and also like kind of blending up from the the bevel to the the handle that transition that i that I work on quite a bit the the stones seem to help uh smooth that out a lot quicker
2: and in the end we're all just a bunch of machinists that know something about geometry
0: yeah i would imagine doing the the kitchen knives with being that wide uh, even those die profilers it would take a long time going back and forth all over the blade yeah. how wide is usually i think they usually are like a half an inch wide for most of the stones for those die profilers or even even smaller
2: yeah that's a lot of work
1: Whenever I started like reading into it and then like, you know, once I read like the first page and then figured all the attachments and it started sounding Greek and I was like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't good. I'm I'm going to pass. <laughs> um, I want to wait for somebody else to go ahead and kind of uh, not yeah, they- pardon the 2020 pl- pun, but flatten that curve a little bit for me. <laughs> and then I'll, uh, then I might jump out there, but yeah. not, not yet. Yeah.
2: This sounds like for somebody that knows CAD. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I do not know CAD. Yeah. Um, I got a guy. Yeah, I got a guy. That,
2: yeah, I got a guy. Ga- I got a guy. It's my 17-year-old kid. It's like um, "Dad, what's the bar thing that's on your drawing table thingy?" <laughs> like, "That's a parallel bar. It helps me make straight lines." I'm like, "Really? Cuz watch, click, click, straight line." <laughs> I'm like, watch, click, click, no allowance."
1: <laughs> yeah, my 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 water jet guy is a uh or the the one of the the guys at the water jet place has become my, uh, my CAD guy. And it's kind of like one of those things you start paying to play and then you build a relationship and it's amazing what, again, what food or bourbon or a knife will do. And it kind of just gets me where I need to go. And, you know, the world would be such a better place if we could just trade and barter for everything.
2: A good bottle of liquor will open an amazing amount of doors.
1: Yes, it does. It's it's an amazing, what a, like a a mid-level bottle of liquor will do for you um but you know he he's designing a knife right now that i've got a little project in the back of my brain that i want to try i don't know if i can get away with it but we're uh we're working on some things i actually went and seen him today and he's gonna help me out and got a couple ideas we're gonna try very cool
0: the uh we talked about your grinder earlier uh what's what's one of your most must-have tools in the shop other than your grinder
2: wow I think we can all agree that it's a well-pronounced abdomen.
1: (laughs) I would say that the, uh, you know, when Rice stepped up and got a heavier drill press, it changed my game. Mm. Um, You know, uh, as weird as that sounds, it's amazing how, you know, that, I think one of the things I couldn't live without, to be completely honest with you, and that wasn't your question, but I have these vice, these vice grips that have, uh, like arched jaws. So there's a little bit of relief in there instead of them being flat, they kind of just pinch at the tip. And I use those for um for drilling out my handles. Um instead of using tape, I guess like what you like you guys are using glue, I use these uh these arched uh vice grips. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I could live without those. Um
2: and That holds your your slabs together.
1: Yeah, it holds the slabs together on the knife. Um that and then I would say my uh my disc grinder, you know, those two, you know, that, that whole process, I guess with the, 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 the vice, the vice grips, the drill press, and then the, uh, you know, my disc grinder for the, for my handle material or making the handles. Do you use a, do you use a flat disc on
0: your, your disc grinder? Or do you have one of the one, one degree bevel?
1: It's a flat one. It's, a uh, just, a. I bought the, uh, I bought the disc and the motor and the, uh, the VFD from uh, Chris over at Wilmont, and I was going to make up my own little thing, and then I actually ended up calling KMG and buying the uh, the stand and the arm to hold the uh, the VFD. And then uh, odd story: I was delivering pizzas for a buddy of mine who owns a pizza restaurant down on one of the local beaches, and I delivered this guy pizzas every Friday night for I don't know, probably two seasons. You know, during the summer, make a quick hundred fifty bucks a night or whatever, working a couple nights a week. And, uh, delivered these pizzas. And this guy always was, it was just weird. Like he would come through the door and he had a dog and
2: there was always, always this Put good d- pants on. And-
1: yeah. 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 Well, well, that was, there was some other stories we could talk about later, but yeah. Anyway, he always had these fancy, crazy guitars. Well, a buddy of mine calls me. He's like, Hey man, um, you know, we're coming from Fayetteville and we, there's this knife maker down on Curry beach that wants to sell everything he's got. And I'm like, all right. He's like, do you want to help come help? I'm like, we'll give you a deal on some of this stuff. You know, if you want to buy anything. Cause there's only a couple of things I really want. Well, it turns out it's this guy's house that I'm delivering stuff to. He's like a concert guitarist or something. And he's like went off on some other like weird trail to go like play guitar somewhere. And he sells like his whole knife making shop. And uh, anyway, I got uh, two, I got KMG Tool Rest, you know, the ones that are like 500 bucks. I got those for like $150 on like they were already set up on on disc grinders. But yeah, I'd been going to this guy's house, you know, every week, every weekend for, for years and never knew there was this big fancy knife shop downstairs. Huh? Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? That's pretty cool. We've
2: talked a lot about blades. What it uh, what's some of the handle materials do you like to work with?
1: Um, I, uh, you know, I think that one of the things that probably locally, my I don't want to say claim to fame because I'm not famous. I might be infamous, but not famous. Um, I actually got a hold of some of the wood from the USS North Carolina, which is a uh, a decommissioned ship um, that they turned into a. Uh, it's a battleship, isn't it? It is a battleship. It is a uh, a dreadnought, a dreadnought class battleship from uh, World War II. Um, its nickname is actually the Showboat. It was the most decorated battleship in the Pacific uh, during World War II. So um, it was being built whenever they bombed Pearl Harbor and everything. But after that, it went over there and laid waste to a bunch of people. But it is a battleship. And in the it came here in the 60s, uh, late 50s, early 60s. And then it was there as a uh, it's not state ran. It's locally ran by the friends of the battleship. Or I think that's the group. Um, But they back in the 90s. they were coming up on the 50th anniversary of it. They thought that they would get President Bush to come uh speak at it. But the ship was in disrepair, you know, the the the, the they the the bunch of stuff needed to be repaired. Well, they actually got with the the minister of export. I don't I don't really know what his name was, but he was from Burma. The Burm, Burmese minister of export or trade or something was going to be in Washington D.C. Well, they actually went to D.C. to meet this guy and got him to come down to Wilmington to go on the ship. And he was so touched by what they were trying to do and the people that had died on the boat and everything that the Burmese government actually donated like the equivalent of 250, 300 grand worth of uh, teak to go on this uh, ship. And then there was actually a local man that his family had a uh, an import business. They were importing wood back then, you know, in the the late 80s early 90s for all this crazy furniture and stuff um and they did the rest of it they actually had a, they have a, a a big mill and they produced it and they replaced all the deck well back in the mid 90s somebody had the wherewithal to save this wood that they knew it was going to be valuable and uh you can't just walk up there and buy it you can walk up there and buy like a block but uh you know a friend of a friend that that gets you in got me uh in touch with the guy that actually runs the ship and you know, we can go buy it from time to time. I try not to buy a whole lot of it, but you know, that's probably been my every every knife I've ever put that on is sold. So, uh just something just has a little bit of history to it. You know, yeah.
2: how can you not buy a piece of history like that?
1: Yeah, and that
2: you said that's teak, correct? Yes, sir. It is teak, uh, and that's that's got. I take it it's got some of that beautiful honey color.
1: It does, man. It's um, you know the. uh we actually have a place where we get it processed at or at, that we go to to have it processed. And the guy, the guy that was looking at it, you know, they use a bunch of teak for other things, just being where we are. And, uh, it's like, I've never seen curly teak and there's actually beautiful. some curly. Teak. Yeah. It's beautiful, you know, but you don't know until you cut inside of it yeah. and this stuff is nasty whenever you get it. I mean, it's been out in the middle, like this marshy area, you know, just laying there, but you got to think it's been all over the world. People sitting on it and it's, uh, all kinds of weird stuff they put on top of it, but there's some, there's some absolute gorgeous pieces and every piece is different. And every piece grinds different. Um, You know, we cut it into what we call buoy blocks, which is a two by two by six block. And then we send them off to knife and gun supply and have them stabilized. And then we go with, we do what we, what we're going to do from there. But it's uh it's beautiful, man. Well, and that's
2: just, I mean, every piece has got a story. Every piece is, has lived several lives.
1: Yep, Every piece has a story. And, and you know, and it has the great thing for me is in, and I didn't realize what I had when we were doing it. But it has, a you know, being from Wilmington, it has a connection. Being in the Navy or you know, somebody in the Navy it has a connection. Somebody that's, you know, you know, just a history person has a connection. So there's a
2: someone that likes to deliver freedom to all corners of the world.
1: Yes, 100 percent. You know, it definitely it has a story and it's it's, you know. There's not, I'm not going to say I'm the exclusive knife maker for it, but there's, you know, there's a couple other people out there that have access to it too. And I mean, you could have access to it too, to get it. It's just, it took me six months to buy it the first time. And Um,
2: there's just not a lot of places or not a lot of opportunities for you to carry that much history on your hip.
1: Yep. You know, and that's led me into other handle materials. You know, um, I've recently gotten a hold of some bourbon barrels um, just to have something different have a customer uh, a daytime customer that has a a nice higher-end pizza restaurant that they were opening up and they they started doing these bourbon dinners and they had me at bourbon um and then they said dinner and i was even more in love but uh they were bringing down the um the master distiller for Woodford reserve to do a dinner and um i asked the the guy i said you know the guy that runs the place i said hey man can you get me can you get me just like some pieces of bourbon barrel it's like i don't care what you know it could it could be what they cleaned up the horse crap with. I don't, it doesn't matter. And, uh, he got me these few pieces of, uh, wood for reserve, I guess is what they would use the, uh, like a flight tasting kind of thing. And I hacked things up and made a couple of knobs out of them because somebody wanted something. And, uh, the first one took me forever. It was like my first multi-piece handle. You know, I've been wanting to do it since I come and hung out with you those few days during our sequester in Greenville. Um, but, It's the first multi-piece handle that I made, and uh, people were like, "Oh my god, I gotta have it! I gotta have it! I gotta have it! How do I get one? How do I get one?" Well, I only had enough material to make like four of them, of course. Um, And the the first one was free, but the next three were just way overpriced because I didn't want to make them again. Yeah. And then they were like, "Hey, can you do that again?" Or "Hey, can you try that?" And then I found a Jack Daniels barrel that I recently processed, and um, you know, the love for Jack Daniels wasn't quite what the uh, what the Woodford Reserve was. Yeah, but um, I stumbled across a um, Maker's Mark barrel, and I didn't know what I had when I bought it. I just knew that I had it's something. You know how sometimes you just come across something, and you're like, I probably should buy that because if I don't buy that, I'm gonna kick myself because I didn't pick it up. And um, that's what happened. I bought it, and then I got some feedback from some people, and I uh, reached out to actually to, to Maker's Mark, and they told me what I had, and um, it's uh. I've got some plans for some really neat, you know, we're going to make a run of knives for that. And I didn't realize it had the cult following that it did.
2: And it's got to be so much nicer for your shop to smell like uh bourbon rather than say skunk when you're grinding handles.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I, uh, I'm like in there taking, <laughs> there's something about guys. They're like, Hey, smell this. And then you tell your wife to do that and you, you get her like one or two times and then she won't do it again. <laughs> but I, my, my, my garage, my shop smelled like, you know, this beautiful, just, and then you cut through it. I mean, cutting through it and processing it, getting it ready to send off to be stabilized. It just, you know, and then when it comes back from being stabilized, it still smells like it whenever you grind it, it's not quite as strong, but it it still does it.
2: A friend of mine says the difference between men and women is when women say, Hey, smell this. It's because it smells good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, whenever I first started this, I, I, I was going to I was really into like synthetic materials because like, oh, man, this just makes sense. You know, this is the strongest material in the world. But now, you know, if it's got a story, I want it, you know, with my father being my father and my uncle both being in the power industry and being old timers and basically getting rid of everybody that could do their jobs. And now these two are the only these two old. Codger's the only two going around the country fixing these power places. And they're um my uncle's actually or my excuse me, my father's up near off of off the coast of Cape Cod at a power facility up there. And he sent me a picture the other day and he's pulled out um they have these things called um Dibs. Yeah. They have these uh they're called uh loose wire generators. Yep. And it looks it looks like a um like a motor that comes off of like an old washing machine where you can see the coals and the, all the the stuff. Yeah. It's got all but, exposed brass or copper. Yeah. All the, all exposed copper. Well, everywhere that exposed copper is underneath it, there's Markita. And uh, the last time they took this thing apart and put it back together was in the seventies.
2: Oh, and it's got that deep rich color, doesn't it?
1: It's beautiful. Yeah.
2: Can't fake that. I mean, that, that kind of depth only comes from years and years and years of just being in a, a production area.
1: Yep, and that's, you know, so I just finished, my uncle gave me um, these two blocks of, like, the newer stuff, and a bunch of, like, offcuts from where they had, but then he gave me some, he was like, I want you to make me, the deal was, is I would make him three fillet knives. Well, I made him three fillet knives, and I made one more. It started out as, like, a blue and white color, like, like whenever you looked at it, but then as I ground it and, like, polished it up, it's just this deep, dark black i mean like the darkest shiniest black that you've ever seen like almost like a like an ebony yeah it's like it's like a like a um like an onyx or something it's just this just, just beautiful like it almost has like a jelly color to, or like a jelly hint to it but it's just so beautiful but you know that's a story you know everybody's out there hunting i'm not going to say this stuff's westinghouse and I, i'm not going to say what you know that it but more than likely it is it's either westinghouse or um G's trade name for it. I, I forget the name off the top of my head, but anyway, they've got their own trade name for it. But I mean, this stuff's just beautiful. It has this rich, like brownish cream color to it, like almost like a like a caramel that's going on the top, or like a flan where you dump a flan out. It's just this beautiful <laughs> that, shimmer to it, you know, that you can't make. That you can't make up. You can't. You can't make that color.
2: And when materials, when you start bringing materials together that have had a life of their own, you know. They, it starts to get a depth. That's when, that's when a blade starts to get a soul. It's yes. It's a tool. Yes. It's art, but it's, it's more than that. It, it, it's it got a little bit of a living soul to it.
1: Yeah. And then it also has a, you know, it, 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 the soul brings a story, you know, and um, I was thinking about this earlier, how I was going to word it, you know, as, as a Southerner and out, you know, however you want to take that as a, as a Southern male, you know, all the males that you grew up around were great storytellers and they all had these stories that they would pass around, whether they were good stories or bad stories, but they always had a, there was always a story to be told. I can remember, you know, sitting at the feet of my grandfathers and just listening to them talking. like, you know, I'd heard the story a hundred times, but I was just still like, you know, in awe of what they were talking about. And to be able to pass that along and something that you could hand over to somebody else, you know, I think we all heard Loveless talk and we've heard other people talk about, you know, this knife is going to be here long after I'm gone. Yeah. Well, if you didn't write your name on the knife, how are they going to know who it is? But, you know, to be sure if they flip that knife over and they see battleship, battleship knife on there, or if they've saved that little card that goes on that knife or, or even with the the Jack Daniels or the, or the maker's mark and stuff like that, you know, like, Hey, this is what this was. You know, I'm not, I'm not really into using screws you know, reuse steel, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing if you know what it is or you know how to use it. That's a little bit harder for me, but reusing handle or reusing different things to turn them into certain kind of handles is just, you know, I, I find myself now trying to find places that have all this other, you know, something with significance to it that I could do.
2: Building a blade that's going to last is my little touch of immortality. You know, that's, that's going to last three, four, even more generations, and that's going to be a little piece of me that survives.
1: Yeah, I never thought of it that way. That's a good point.
0: So, along that same lines, what are some of your your favorite handle combos you've made? Uh, you talked about doing some some multi-handle or multi-material
1: stuff. I've only done a few multi-handle, multi-handle um, and these were actually that that bourbon stave that I had. I had to um, put it together because the the knife the guy wanted he wanted like a he called it a bartender's knife, which I'd never heard of. But uh, it basically has a little prong at the front of it. it looks like a fork and a knife. But not a spork. Um and he uh he wanted it to be that size and it was bigger than the knife. The the handle was bigger than that. I just had to splice it together. But I've not I've not went down that road. I've not used a whole bunch of liners. I've not, you know, um pretty much everything I have, I don't want to say it's mono, but it's it's it is mono. It's all that that one that one piece.
0: Okay.
1: So I haven't I haven't went down that road yet. I I want to. But uh I being at Dan's place and seeing that big old beautiful saw that we bought, um, I think that I would be frustrated by trying to do it half-hearted, and I'd, I'd want to be – I'd want to jump into it full at the deep end, and I'm not I'm – not, I don't am not—I know that I'm ready to do that yet.
2: Well, he's been read into the deep, dark secrets of the bolstered knife blade or handle, and my saw is – it's a remnant from my cabinet-making days, and it is a total cheat.
1: It is a total cheat, and, 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 and the only way I would do it is to cheat. Yeah. Um,
2: come back up. There's some tricks I can show you. Um, there's some ways I can show you to set up the grinder. There's a couple of other, other cheats that you can do in your own shop. That one's just, yeah. I mean, if it's there, why wouldn't I take advantage of it? I'm totally a cheater.
1: You know, I don't know about y'all, but like when I was doing the blacksmithing thing, um, you know, I've always been around people that fixed their own stuff and, and, and got something and it was easier to buy something broke because you could fix it because nobody else would. Yeah. But I found myself with so so little free time that I was taking everything that I was trying to do. And I'm not saying things wrong with it, but I was I was spending more time fixing stuff than I was actually making stuff. I and I drew I drew a line in the sand and I said there will be no more. Either I'm going to save up my money and buy the right thing, or I'm going to deal with it with what, with what I've got. But I'm not fixing anymore. I don't, I'm not going to have any more projects to make this work unless it's a you know, excuse me, something that that's not produced anymore. You know, and I'm not saying that snootily. I'm just saying that's just my time, I guess.
2: I was so busy saving money by rehabbing, rebuilding, fixing stuff that I was rebuilding equipment and not making knives. And that's not that's not what I'm doing. I was getting paid to make knives, not rebuild equipment.
1: You know, that's what I was doing when I was doing the blacksmithing stuff. You know, when I first got in this crazy mess is I would I would find, you know, these old uh, leg vices or rat tail vices, some people call them. And they would not have a spring or they wouldn't have a, uh, you know, something to tie it down. And I'm like rigging it together to make it work and then selling it to somebody or getting an anvil and trying to like pretty it up. And, you know, I just finally threw my hands up. I'm like, I'm not, you know, I was going to, I was going to build my own grinder. And then I started doing the math and I'm like, well, I don't have this. I don't have this. And then I got to buy all these other parts. And like, you know, I'm halfway to buying this grinder or three quarters of the way to buy in this grinder why don't I just take the rest of the money and go to somebody that, That's what he does for a living, and buy the grinder of men.
2: And while we're talking nickel and dollars, and in the end, this is a—it's a business. If if you can't keep your doors open, you can't keep doing it. Um, What are some of the what are some of the surprising challenges or the things you didn't really expect uh, that you had to overcome growing and building the business?
1: Um, it's still growing. Um, it's—I guess it's growing every day. I would take you know, I would take house money, I guess. Um, and I say house money, you know, the money that, that, that I make to pay the bills. You know, my wife's a school teacher a couple of days a week at, at a, at a private school where our kids go to school at, and she's there, you know, basically so they can go to school. Um, so it's definitely a single income home. Um, but we do okay. And it's, uh, you know, not putting back for stuff, not, you know, not, you know, preaching every day what I preach at work about, you know, you need to charge more for this or you need to do this or you need to, you know, you should be doing these things and helping people run their multi-million dollar businesses. And I couldn't run my, you know, at the time, my five or ten thousand dollar a year knife business because I was doing stupid stuff yeah. Um. and not investing back into, you know, now I, I say I have stuff in buckets, you know, and just as an example, I say, you know, I've got I make a knife and I sell it for 300 bucks and this isn't. You know this is just a an easy math one, you know, let's say a hundred dollars of its profit, a hundred dollars of its materials, and then a hundred dollars of it is uh you know to be invested back into the company and that's what I try to do now um and in the beginning, I wasn't doing that i
2: I've certainly got blinded by the the production side and not paying attention to the where's the money got to go tomorrow part
1: yeah, and that was that was the hardest thing you know, and then not. You know, not never, never have been in manufacturing before having to do that was was a challenge. It's definitely it's definitely a learning curve, curve every day. You know, it's not a, a full fledged business yet. But, I, you know, at some point I want it to be, you know, what pays the bills and makes it where I can do this all day instead of having to go out and hang out in dirty restaurants. But, you know, it is what it is. Oh, no, please
2: don't make me hang out in restaurants and make my deliveries around 10 o'clock when prep is done but they haven't started serving yet
1: (laughs) it's uh you know i was telling one of my customers today he's like you look like you're having fun i was like yeah man i said we've been you know it's been doom and gloom for the last 10 or 12 weeks and i said now we've got work released from our great governor and um now this is fun again everybody's starting to open back up it's summertime you know i have i cover like four or five excuse me i cover six beaches in my route and it's uh it's a horrible job. I had somebody riding with me yesterday, and he's like, "Your your life sucks, doesn't?" It? I was like, "No, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't suck at all." Yeah, and
2: if you tell anyone, I'll kill you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't don't tell them they're paying me to do this. But uh, if you own a if you own a tent company
0: up here in the Chicagoland area, you're making like total mo- bank money because every restaurant is like foregone foregone their uh, front parking, and the whole front parking lot is all tent seating and stuff because they're not allowed to do anything other than outdoor dining.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we don't call it, it's not black Friday. Now it's black Tuesday uh, on the, on, on St. Patrick's day, they, they shut everything down in North Carolina and it basically went to to half and it, um, you know, we've recently gotten it back to, to 25%. Um, and they're shooting for 50% soon, but, you know, people get creative and it's, uh, it's been, been a challenge for sure. And then the the whole supply chain is just all jacked up, um, for many, many reasons. Um, but some of it's self-induced, some of it's just fact of what's going on. Some of it's where some of these places are. Yeah. Uh, So what,
0: what have been some of the biggest challenges, uh, growing your business from the beginning, you
1: said kind of like not charging enough, but, Is there anything else? I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is, um, exposure, you know, not being, you know, you start looking and people find out you're a knife maker and, or, or even, I don't want to say blacksmith because that's not what I am, but you know, you start looking around and there's more people doing blacksmithing than there was back in the 1800s. I mean, I know it's because there's more people, but still there's, there's, you know, everybody watches forged in fire. They go by an anvil and a hammer and a forge and now they're a knife maker and it's, uh, getting your name out there. And then what separates you from other people? Um, and that's been, been a challenge. And then not, I have a, I have a hard time talking about my, my personal business with my, with my, with my day job, I guess. And I know I have a great opportunity to do that, but you know, I don't, I can't really go into some of these places and try to say, Hey, well, if you're not going to buy my food, at least try one of my knives. And I, I don't really have a, I haven't figured that out yet. I know Dan does a great job with that, but, um, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's a struggle.
2: Once I gave up on my morals and completely sold out, <laughs> I found that it was really easy.
1: Yeah. Well, I definitely have no morals. Um, and, and I, I, and I would do anything for attention, but, uh, you know,
2: it, it, well, you're halfway there. All you got to yeah. do you just got to let, you, you got to let the indifference flow through you.
1: Yeah. Let my inhibitions down. Yeah. Um, yeah it it's uh you know getting traction and then i guess re-educating people you know um re-educating people has is, is been is, is is a struggle you know it's hard to sell somebody a six inch knife that doesn't fold and try to explain to them why it's better than the you know the the, the 15 or 20 the knife they got from walmart um and the same, even more so with the kitchen knife, you know, I, people ask me all the time, like, why should I buy this kitchen knife? Why should I do this? Why should I do this? I'm like, well, I said, first off, let's figure out what kind of kitchen knife you need. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're a paring knife person for everything, or you need like a, just a smaller Santuco, or you're going to get the big daddy and go there and get it and get a big knife, you know, a big chef's knife. Um, but just reeducating people, just getting people to realize that, you know, we're in we're in a throwaway society and it, uh, Having something to latch onto. I mean, you're going to use that that kitchen knife. You're going to use it more than any other knife you, that you own. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 hard getting people to, to to buy into that. But whenever you do, you know, I tell people a lot. I'm like, I sell more knives to housewives than I do to professional chefs
0: mm-hmm.
1: because a professional chef it's a, it's a tool to them, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And the housewives and stuff, it it makes the whole cooking process a lot more. Enjoyable and fun, and having a connection and remembering and having a story to tell,
1: yeah, you know whenever I was at Johnson Wells in Charlotte, um we were the first class to graduate from there, and um we didn't know any better, but the food network had made us all rock stars, whether we could cook a thing or not, we all became rock stars, and we all became instant celebrities in that town and to tell me that I would have walked around that town in in my culinary school uniform, I would have told you, you were crazy that I wouldn't have done it. But we ended up doing it because it got us a lot of attention. And I think that same that same thing being said about the culinary school people, whether it be Johnson Wells or CIA or Art Institute or even your local community college place, it's turned them all into like celebrities. But at the same time, these are you know, everybody cooking has become a phenomenon or or not a phenomenon, a fad that's continued to go on. And I think that as, you know, that's why I kind of lean more towards kitchen knives anyway. I think as, as we see more, more custom knives by Guy Fieri or or Alton Brown or people like that, they're, they're using knives that people can't get on TV. I think we'll, we'll see an expansion of what we're doing too. I don't know if that made sense how I said that, but that's, you know, I think as, as more people, people always want something that nobody else has too. Yep. But
2: well, on the the sales side, the first thing that worked for me is pointing out to people. I got so frustrated with what my grandfather said, and I realized to start the conversation with, there's been revolutionary changes in the metallurgical industry that, that has completely changed the rules. The things that have happened in the last 10 years, which is not entirely perfectly correct, but it, People can wrap their heads around that. The changes in the last 10 years have completely rewritten the rules. And that makes it easier for people to let go of what their grandfather told them.
0: Yeah, I've I've had people that said, I don't want any of that junk stainless steel. It just doesn't have enough carbon to get hard. And I'm like, yeah, so most all the stainless steels that we're using for knife blades have more carbon than high carbon steel
2: knives that you're talking about. Yeah, it, it it blows people's minds to know S35VN has more carbon than 1095 does. Mhm.
1: And doesn't warp and doesn't crack and it's not temperamental like your ex-girlfriend either.
2: Yeah. And then the next angle I go for is, hey, look, what I make is going to last three generations.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think I play up enough on that, but I, I agree with you. I think that's a um, you know, that's is, that's is a good point. And I guess it's just find me finding a way to to spin that into my own words, but it it's definitely a true statement, you know.
2: And the last one I use is when people say, Well, why do I need a custom? I'll look them dead in the eye and say, You don't need a custom. Nobody needs a custom. Nobody needs a Ferrari. You buy a Ferrari because you want one. You buy a Ferrari because you like to drive fast, because you like performance.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it,
1: I, I definitely use the, uh, I guess you had three people. Um, your both your wives and me, I listened to a show a couple of weeks ago where you and I forget what episode it was, but you were talking about knives and uh carbon steel versus the stainless steel and I used the example of the Mustang. Yeah. It's like, yeah, man, you can get a Mustang, you know, there's two different ones. This one's a Corvette and this one's a Mustang. And the Corvette you put the gas in and you go down the road, you know, brand new two thousand twenty Corvette, you just drive it. I said, But this other one's a sixty seven Mustang, and I said, You gotta baby it, you gotta put oil in it you know it's going to make a couple of little noises you know it's a little temperamental sometimes but you know if you're if you're cool with it if you're if you're that retro guy that still you know wears his converses and cooks on uh, charcoal or wood you know this is the knife for you but if you're not going to do those things when you just we need to go back over here to this other one cuz I'm not cleaning it but one time and after that every time I clean I'm going to charge for it
2: yeah if you want to prove to everybody you really know your sh- carbon if you want to just get in it and go Buy stainless steel.
1: Yep. Yes, sir.
0: So what do you what do you think the the next big thing for the, the industry is gonna be? Um you kind of mentioned a little bit with culinary knives, but do you do you see any other trends that you're kinda wanting to work or
1: I think that the end goal for me at some point is to make folding knives. That's where I wanna go. I don't know how long it takes me to get there. Um that's just my personal goal. There
2: is big money in pocket jewelry, man.
1: I uh I'm not quite there yet. I don't, I don't have the equipment for it. Um, you know, I it's a big upfront expense.
2: I mean, that's the, yeah. the long and the short of it is you you can't dip your toe in folding knives. You're either all in or you're all out.
1: Yeah. And you know, there's some tips, like you were saying earlier about doing the multi-part handles. There's some tips and some different things that you can do, but I need, I need some equipment to do that. And I'm not quite there yet. Plus our kids are, getting a little bit older and we're not quite to where your kids are, where they're going to be in college sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, oh. I've got three and I know that, um, I'll, I also have twins. Yeah. Um, nice. and my, my twins will be, uh, my twins will be nine this month.
2: One of them going to need braces. One of them is going to need glasses. I mean,
1: oh, they're all going to need braces, but we're British. So they're not getting braces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Our boys will be four at the end of the month. It's hard to, hard to believe they're, they're already that old, but man, yeah.
1: you're through all your pay raises. Though you got a raise when they got off formula, you got a raise when one. of them got out of diapers. You got to raise when the other one got out of diapers. Yeah, um,
0: we're 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 still not done with daycare, but hopefully that'll be soon.
2: I hate to be the old guy here, but man, enjoy that time. It, yeah, you know the cliche is it. You blink your eyes and it's gone, but it it really is. I
1: mean, man, my my oldest will be twelve and. uh He's, I guess he'll be in the seventh grade next year. And it's, uh, oh, it's, it's just wild, man. Like I'm like, and my wife's like, you know, in six years he'll be in college. And I'm like, God help us all. because
2: you're, you're in that sweet, sweet spot where he can make himself breakfast, but you're not a complete moron. It, that is the time to spend time with them when like, they're not super high maintenance, but they haven't figured out that you're an idiot
1: yeah my wife my wife started yelling at me because they're all you know kids are born with with computers and and phones and stuff in their hands and and they're so smart when it comes to all this stuff and and she's pretty intelligent too whenever it comes to this stuff too and uh you know they'll just start talking about something and they're like daddy you know how to do this and i'm like eh, okay and she's like well you can't tell me you don't know how to do it because then they'll like, think you're stupid i'm like well it better them know now than find out later <laughs>
2: They're gonna figure it out eventually
1: <laughs> yeah because they're gonna figure it out eventually but yeah they uh and they're all so different. They're all three of them are just you know, we have two girls and one boy, and uh, they're it's it's so fun. And they all kind of want to do different things, and it's just it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I can't wait till uh,
0: we don't have any more accidents, and we don't have to put uh, diapers on them at night. Uh, they just send
2: them to bed. And
1: oh, there's a raise coming there too. I forgot about that <laughs> one. The night, the the good nights. Yeah, yeah, good nights. Good night race.
2: I mean, I talk about you know, enjoy every moment, but. Actually, yeah, you could probably fast forward through that part and you'd be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then find random piles of uh, whatever, whether it be pee or feces in the house. You know, that's that's a fun one, too. Um, but, you know, to have, having two at one time changes the dynamic, and there's only a few that can say they had it. Mm. Um, but it's, uh, you're you're almost to the, you know, they get about five. Five years old changes everything because then they're they're little humans at that point and they can they can do all their own stuff and they're pretty well, you know.
2: Kyle kinda got it rough. He got the twins up front, so he didn't even get like a practice one. Yeah. Like he he get immediately thrown into the deep end. Not only do you have to figure this stuff out, but you gotta figure this stuff out and duplicate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I tell everybody that we had our uh we had our oldest and uh we saved up the money for the uh the dobe and like what we were gonna have to pay the hospital and everything we paid all that up front and then i got the bill for like the other two and like where they started telling us you know you're sitting in there and like well, there's two doctors there's one doctor for baby a and one doctor for baby b and there's another doctor for your wife and all this other stuff and they gave us that bill and i was like well i don't know if you're getting all that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it was- i've heard that uh Having the two at first, you don't know how much how much more work it is for two instead of just
1: one. So,
2: yeah, you're good now. That's the point. You got sweet, sweet ignorance.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and I tell people having three, you know, if we had one more, it would change. it. You know, three is not, you know, I love my kids. But if we had one more, it would have made things so much easier because then, then they can be two on two, you know, two playing at us. Because we can add one more kid and that kid can be just the worst kid you ever met in your life. And you add one more kid to the mix, and it's like there's this. This just amazing. It's not like you know singing kumbaya again. It's just this humming, and everybody's holding hands, and you know,
2: yeah. And see, Beth and I, Beth and I were fine to man on man. We just didn't want to have to break into zone coverage.
1: Definitely is that. I mean, Definitely is. I know mean, I, I my
2: genetics, and we could not let one get loose.
1: We had ours fenced in. <laughs> Yeah, there's all kinds of things that we did that were horrible. I mean, we had the door locks backwards on the thing so they couldn't get out of the rooms yeah. at night. You know, we had to hide all this, you know. Well, you could tell when they got older because then stuff started going back on the bottom shelves. And they're like, it's really cool. Y'all decorated your house where all the stuff went down on the bottom. I'm like, no, it says so they don't break anything. Yeah.
2: Now, I just think when I remember Beth traveled a lot when the boys were young. And I remember when I would just I'd, I'd hit a wall like I was done. There was nothing left. And their bedrooms were the safest room in the the house. So I'd take them both into one of the bedrooms. And I would set them down and I would close the door. And I'd sit down leaning against the door to fall asleep knowing that it was physically impossible for them to move my unconscious body and open the door. (laughs) And that was the absolute safest room for them to be in while I was unconscious for 15 minutes. Because I just needed fifteen minutes to get my feet back under me.
1: Yeah, I can remember sleeping in the hallway of of ours. Um, they have rooms that are opposite each other, and there's a, a a bathroom in the middle. And I can remember them. You know, my daughter taught herself how to get out of the. Uh, if we'd had a girl first, too, we probably would have thought our boys were there was something wrong with them because girls just are completely different. You know, my oldest didn't walk until he was almost sixteen months old and didn't talk until then, and she's like walking at seven months old. Um, and then getting, you know, climbing, my oldest never climbed out of the crib or anything, but she teaches herself how to climb out of the crib. And then she's over there busting her brother out of jail. And like, you know, literally I was sleeping in the hallway between their rooms on a mat just that way. Cause I knew they couldn't get past me, you know, they had to crawl over me or whatever, but they would wake me up when they, when they hit me just to keep being around the house. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of my buddies, he, he rigged up like a switch above his, his son's door so when when his son would open the door uh it would like had a he had a light in the living room like a a, a spinning red light that would turn on <laughs> so you know the
1: no son was coming or we moved into this house when our, our oldest was i guess he was three-ish and then the twins were born well he was um we, we went from like a, a townhouse in like a upscale neighborhood and then we, you know we live in like a suburbia neighborhood now We had to like put a, one of those alarms that goes on your door. Like when they break the, the plane of the alarm, it goes off Mm -hmm. On our front door because he had figured out how to get out of the front door and he was going up and down our road on the sidewalks and like his diaper.
2: Yeah. I had to put a barrel bolt at the top, up towards the top of our front door for the same reason. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Just jetting down the road, you know, and then like, you know, we had just moved in. We're younger of of all the people that were around us and like, Hey, your son's down the road. My wife's like, you know, do you know what your son did? <laughs> and it's your son at that point, you know? Um, <laughs> you <bring it? laughs> that's funny. Well, bringing it back to, to knife
0: stuff. Uh, are you going to, are you going to be at blade? I know, uh, well, the last couple of years I've seen you at the USA made blade, uh, booth helping out there,
1: uh, um, yeah, I'm going down there. Um, Scott and them are not going to have, and, and this could change, but at this point they're not doing a, uh, a booth down there, but I think I'm going to, uh, help out Chris at Wilmot, uh, grinders. Um, that's not for sure yet, but he's got a, he does two booths. So he'll have one for his grinder and then one for his knives. And, uh, you know, the, one of the guys that normally helps him's not going to be there. Um, and he said he need like three or four people to be there. And I said, well, I said, I'm a cheap date. Uh, I've already got my room and it's paid for. If you'll buy my food and indulge me, uh, you know, maybe, and let me throw some of my stuff up in the case. Maybe I'll, I'll help you out. But, uh, you know, it's always really fun to sell stuff that you're passionate about and I'm very passionate about as grinders. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, so that's my, that's my plan. I haven't really, I haven't jumped out there far enough yet. You know, just doing the math in my head, I'm I'm still scared to. I don't know what the break even would be for me to get a, a, a booth or a hey, a um a table, and I'm not quite there yet.
2: Hey, if you could do me a solid, if you could really ding up one of the demos for a uh, blade, <laughs> like I mean, if you could if you could knock like twenty five percent off of it, mostly just paint and scratches. I, I, I'd appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm,
1: Whenever you get one and you're serious, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. I, I I know a guy, we can make that work. He's uh he's, he's really good to to knife makers. He's uh he takes care of especially, you know, with, if you nice, we can see what we can do. We'll take care of you. See yeah. we we'll talk off air. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I had to bite my words there. For where <laughs> I'm
0: at, uh, I assume those, uh, those two tables are going to be there, but uh, I'm right in between Nichols impregnated Wood. And then, uh, the phoenix abrasive guys so i was handing my money to both sides of my table pretty much every time i sold a knife
1: yeah i uh i've been loyal to pops before pops was cool um you know before the guys bought it and that's where i continue continue to keep my money at. i've never i've not tried anybody else's stuff you know i've I've got a couple friends that do some red label um i've tried some true grit in the past um but pops is where i seem to land back at yeah the the phoenix knife or the
0: phoenix abrasive guys um there's a knife show up up by us in uh, Janesville, Wisconsin, and they're out of Minneapolis. Uh, the Phoenix abrasive guys. They were, huh? They were, or <laughs> hopefully they still are. Yeah. Uh, but um, they've been good to me. With uh, I know both those guys, and it was pretty funny. And it was uh, when I found out my table was right next to them. I go, uh, or I saw him at Janesville last year. I said, I hear that guy that's going to be next to you at
1: Blade Show is a real a hole. <laughs> <laughs> they go, okay, who is this? Right. I'm Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it turns out you were right
1: yeah I, like, i'm very interested to see what happens this year you know because i think there's probably a lot of people that'll still pay for their table just so they can keep it but i just don't know who's going to show up mm-hmm. um there's i have
2: heard one set of predictions where people don't show up and it's going to be a tight show i've heard another set where all the people that can't show up during the normal time frame will be there Either way, it's still going to be, if not the largest, one of the largest knife shows in the world. And I can't pass on those numbers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even still, you get to hopefully there'll be a lot of the suppliers and stuff. I always buy a lot of handle material and stuff there because you can actually get it in your hands and see it under the light. And
2: and plus, Kyle's going to buy everybody a beer. So why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. yeah come by the pit. I'll have a, a big white cooler full of beer. I already, I already, uh, one of the, one of our followers, uh, Shamrock Knives, he said he would, uh, make sure to throw a couple of cases of beer into his, for his hotel room and, uh, make sure it gets restocked if we run out of beer.
1: So I don't think running out is going to be an issue. That's what I love our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) I I don't, I don't think running out is going to be a problem. Yeah. Getting up might be a problem, but running out will not be a problem. There's no shortage (laughs) of that being there.
2: You know, I have um, found the longer I go to Blade Show, the earlier that wake up seems to be.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, last year I had an interesting experience in, um, I was late to the show, late to the, late to the, the draw of getting my room. Two years ago, we stayed somewhere else. Um, my father-in-law went with me, and me, but last year was a little bit different. Um, I was going by myself and didn't kind of like last minute and didn't, didn't know where to stay. And I was like, well, I'll just pick this one random, you know, place where the, The workers sleep, Um, you know, the the hotel, as I'm talking about, I hope. Um, And it was across the road um, from from the convention center there. And the first night was okay. You know, went over there, dropped off my stuff, went back, hung out in the pit, um, took an Uber back, I think. And then uh, whenever everything was over with, I went back and it was raining that first night. And uh, the people that were in the room next to me decided that they were going to have a fight. Mm hmm. And uh, This was at three o'clock in the morning and the pouring down rain, so I slept through that until uh, Atlanta's finest came and took the gentleman away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so uh, needless to say, I, I I've always stayed in Marriotts, but now I remember why I always stay in Marriotts, and that's the reason.
2: You know the, the place across the way with the walkway. Um,
1: yeah, I stayed there one year, and it was.
2: I gotta admit, it was kind of nice to be able to get away from the noise. Um, there was still a pretty solid knife community in that, in that hotel. And it was, it was actually pretty pleasant.
1: I'm staying there this year. The one across the, the, uh, the one that starts with an S. Yeah. And you can, yeah, I'm staying, I'm staying at that one.
2: So that you don't have to get a car.
1: Um, I, uh,
2: oh, come on. You can, no, you can walk a thousand meters.
1: No, it was, um, it was, I wanted to stay at the Waverly, but I didn't realize that I, once I'd already booked my room, um, Scott from US and Blade told me that they, they get a different they get a different thing, and he can get as many rooms, well, I say as many rooms as he needs, but he could have got an extra room if I needed one, but uh, I just didn't, I didn't realize that, and I already paid for my room, so I kind of backed, I was like, well, I can't do that this year.
2: Yeah, but there's a sky bridge between those, so you don't have to yeah. take a car across that Okay. I mean, it's it, it's a thousand meter walk, but it's easier than a car. And it was kind of nice. Um, you could kind of get away from the chaos.
1: Yeah. I know a couple of people that stay in the courtyard, I guess, over near the mall. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's a I feel like if you go to Blade Show, you kind of got to You've got to experience the pit at least one night. I mean, you don't have to do it every night, but you've got to at least do it one night because everybody, you know, you're. This is one of the only communities where you can meet somebody that's got, you know, a million followers or whatever, has been on TV and Mm. actually did something on TV um, and and be able to have an approachable conversation with them. You know, other businesses, you know, my, my day job, I've been in conferences where you can't go up to the person that's on TV and talk to them because they got handlers around them, you know?
2: You know, you never know. You could be talking to somebody that was on TV. You right now, you could be listening to somebody that was on TV and just not know it.
1: You could have, maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I've stayed at the the Holiday Inn uh, across the the way a, a couple of years, and that that place has been uh, the Holiday Inn Express has been really good. They actually have a, a shuttle in the morning and stuff, so that was pretty convenient to to go over when I wasn't uh, wasn't actually showing knives.
1: You know, when we lived in Atlanta, we lived um, over in uh, an area called Dunwoody, which is back. Uh, if I guess from the way that you would come. Dan down eighty five, and then you come across uh, two eighty five.
2: I, I grew up in Marietta. I am very okay. aware of where Dunwoody he is. You. See.
1: Well, we lived um, we lived near where um, uh, First Baptist Atlanta was. Yeah, we lived right up there. So my in law, whenever I went with my father in law a couple of years ago, he wanted to stay over that way because he knew where we was at. He knew what you know. He knew what was around there because whenever we were first. When we lived in Atlanta, you didn't go over to the Galleria. There was nothing there, but you know we were surprised when we went back over there and at how much that's changed and how much that that whole area is just completely different than what it was.
0: Oh, cool! Well, I'm looking forward to to seeing you, and hopefully we can uh, have a few beers in the the pit together.
2: Yeah, man, we'll hang out
1: some and, fun and fellowship.
2: And where can we find Nicholas Nichols knives?
1: You can find me on Instagram, um, uh, Nicholas underscore nichols underscore knives um and then it's nicholas nichols knives on facebook as well i do not have a uh do not have a website um i've just recently gotten business cards um so it's uh me making
2: knives good do business
1: bad yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um exactly i don't um not you know some people have two business cards that are on this call um, I only have one. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's just a have I've got one that I drew in crayon. And I just I've seen both hard. of yours. <laughs> I've seen both of yours. So yeah, I, um, you know, I, I need to get a website. I probably should do that sooner rather than later. But, uh, you know, I think it maybe if I knew somebody, you know, my wife's a graphic designer, but I still, you know, I love you, honey. Yeah, I got a great guy that uh,
0: did had helped do the the knife perspective website and our and my cage daily knife site. So uh, he's he's really good and can can help you whip together something pretty quick.
1: Well, maybe we'll talk about that off air. Uh, yep. Getting touch with him or whatever. You know, I've yep. tried to uh, I tried to make my own, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, I was typing with my two left feet trying to figure it out, and it just wasn't wasn't getting it. And so I, if he
2: doesn't work, I, I know a. Uh, a 17 year old that'll work for, um, candy and, um, mountain Dew. <laughs> That's
1: cool. I, nice. I, I might, I might could do that too. If he's, uh, we could take care of him as well. <laughs> nice. Cool. Um, and then, uh, other than,
0: or USA made blade, uh, I know sells your knives. Is there anywhere else that, uh,
1: um, I have some down with Lee and Melissa, um, down at old town cutlery. Okay, okay. Um, You're in the family. Uh, I am in the family, um, you know, trying to get into some other places, just haven't really reached out. Um, you know, don't really know, kind of, kind of dabbling that I'm a little loyal to Scott, but Scott, uh, hooked me up with, um, with Lee and Melissa and Lee and Melissa have been, uh, good to us. Um, It's
2: cheating if they're in another state.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and you know, and Scott's, me and Scott have had conversations, you know, he's, he's okay with me doing stuff but i just you know still kind of loyal to him trying to make it where i'm you know there but uh his knife business is more towards the folder side of it he says you know he says that he sells 100 100 folder knives to one fixed blade knife and it's uh you know there's cut co- there's more i'd like to be in more kitchen specific places but i you know i haven't really ventured out there yet like you said uh make knife good do business bad that's definitely a. That's a t-shirt. I think <laughs> uh, with me dragging my knuckles, I, I, I feel that coming. Um,
2: Shooting <laughs> eyebrow keeps the dust out of my eyes. <laughs>
1: right.
0: <laughs> is there uh is there any other, any other things you want to want to talk about before we wrap this one up or.
1: Uh, no, man, I think I got, you know, unless y'all got any other questions for me, I'm good to go. You know, I, uh, I do. I, I do want to rub this in. I am looking at a uh, a four by three piece of a card catalog in the floor of my shop. Four by three.
2: What I heard is. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. Stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: four. It's four, 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 four tall, four cards tall, and three cards across. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah look, just out of curiosity, what's the
1: the address of your shop again? Um, it's, uh, it's in, um, Greer, South Carolina. Wait, <laughs> hey, really? Cause my shop's in Greer. <laughs> There's a Toyota in the back. Yeah. Hey, that's an amazing <laughs> coincidence. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's yep. funny. Really really fancy table saw.
2: Actually, the um, car is, the donor car has been stripped and moved on now. Wow. Yep. I'm, I'm back to being classy. <laughs>
1: I thought of you the other day. I was out um we we got a work release in our great state and uh, me and my wife went and had dinner and re- or breakfast in a restaurant alone for the first time like way before this this thing ever happened. Um but uh we went to an antique shop and they actually had um old post office boxes. Ooh. Which were really really cool. But the freight on those you'd have to come up here and get them. Yeah. But they were uh they were really cool, man. You didn't- um
2: somebody beat me i found they were beautiful they were um they were the old uh bronze faced uh post office boxes
1: that's what these are
2: yeah somebody beat me by like 15 minutes getting down to the store to get them
1: well they have two sets of them they have one set that has like the smaller i guess four by three or four by four or whatever and then they have some that actually have the bigger doors on them, and they don't really want a whole lot of money for them. Uh, I can take some pictures of them and snap it to you, and maybe we can figure out how to get them to you. Yeah, I've been looking for an excuse to come by your shop. Yeah, yeah. There's not a whole lot. You, it's a postage stamp, but you can come hang out. Yeah. I do have the beach, though. We could You could do the beach. Um,
2: yeah, I, I was kind of there for the beach and dinner, but the, the shop is a good excuse, too.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Nice.
0: Well, you can keep in touch with the podcast at KnifePerspective.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Knife Perspective. And the podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. And you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at DogwoodCustomKnives.com and Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daily, Cage Daily Knives at cagedailyknives dot com, and Cage Daily Knives on Instagram and Facebook, and my email, Kyle at cagedailyknives or Kyle at knifeperspective dot com. And uh, Nicholas has been been great talking with you, and can't wait to to get to hang out with you some more.
1: Thanks, guys. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, it's been great. Say good night, Kyle. Good night, Kyle. Well, let's take it to the edge. Cause that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna.